Welcome to Raising It, a podcast series by Noble Ambition that shares the extraordinary stories of mega gifts and multi-million dollar philanthropy campaigns from the leaders who delivered them. During the past decade in Australia, we've seen more record-breaking multi-million dollar gifts announced than ever before. These gifts have transformed the charitable sector for the benefit of communities everywhere. But while we celebrate the philanthropists associated with these gifts, the stories of how these gifts came into being often remain untold. Raising It takes you behind the scenes to hear directly from the individuals who made these campaigns happen. We'll meet amazing leaders committed to achieving their noble ambitions through philanthropy, in education, health, marriage equality, climate change and more, and hear how they galvanize boards, teams and donors into making the impossible possible. The host of this series is me, Melissa Smith, founder and CEO of Noble Ambition, with almost 20 years experience in philanthropy and fundraising, and Australia's only global fundraiser of the year. I hope that by sharing these stories of inspiring leadership, we can encourage others to achieve their own noble ambitions. The clock is ticking. The Stella Forever campaign has eight weeks to go before we need to make the announcement on our 10th anniversary prize that we've raised $2 million and we have $800,000 to go. So far, we've had three extraordinary intimate dinners with three extraordinary writers, over 40 individual meetings with female philanthropists and 50 different individuals and families and foundations that we've had conversations with and meetings with, and it is late February and the tide is finally beginning to turn. One by one, our conversations gradually turn into confirmation of pledges. Donations begin to be made. Multi-year chapters of $50,000 each are being committed to. Some of our most loyal supporters who have been with us from the very beginning of Stella have given more than they have ever done so to date. Karen, from your experience as chair of Stella, and you saw this tide turning, why was it suddenly beginning to land and build in energy and momentum in your opinion? Well, I think for some of our supporters, it was really the level of our ambition. Women traditionally don't ask for what they need. And in this case, we were really asking for what Stella needed and what women writers and readers needed to support Stella into the future. I also think that our case for support was exceptionally strong. One of the things I learned through this is you hear of these trusts and foundations that we're talking to, but ultimately it's people behind them and they're driven by the things that touch their hearts and and what they really want to support. And through this campaign, I got to really know those people and really understand what motivated them to give to Stella and why they wanted to be part of this community and part of this campaign. I think the investment in women writers and readers of the future really motivated our close supporters as as it has done from our very beginnings. I think also the idea of a female-led campaign tapped into our supporters' desire to support collective action to address gender bias. It was exciting for our supporters to be part of this movement, particularly at a time when many felt that women's voices were still not being heard and there was a bit of frustration out there generally, I think. Thank you, Karen. Now, one of those key supporters who had been with us for some time was the Wilson Foundation. Now, they were really important for us to be able to even do this campaign in the first place and for their continued support. Jack, can you please tell me a little bit more about the Wilson Foundation and why it was so important to Stella's campaign? The Wilson Foundation have been supporters of Stella for six years. That's more than half of the organization's life at that point. And their support really focused on ensuring that the prize could be awarded each year. 
but they knew we had ambitions for longevity to give us time to get this campaign up and off the ground. It was through their multi-year support for the prize that we were able to do that. We could confidently say we have the prize money secured for this period of time, thanks to the Wilson Foundation. Now, through this campaign, we're trying to secure it in perpetuity. We couldn't have done it without them. So not only did they continue their support as they committed for the prize for each year, but they also made a contribution to the Stella Forever Fund. And it was just in this building of momentum, one individual after another, it was really very exciting time. And then we moved into the next phase, our family and friends, our nearest and dearest. Jack, tell us a little bit more about what this looked like, this phase of the campaign. Stella has a very committed community on our social media channels. There are writers editors, authors, publishers, librarians, teachers across the country who feel a deep connection to Stella. Until this time, we hadn't really gone out with a direct ask at that grassroots level. This was the point in the campaign where we turned to a moment of thanking and profiling those people who were in our community as their gifts came in. So lots of social media posts recognizing gifts from existing donors. We had our board members profiled. We had early donors profiled and essentially uh, let those people tell the story of why they wanted to support it. Again, coming back to this idea of collective energy, we let people who were already part of the campaign, talk to other people who might want to join the campaign about what compelled them. And over and over again, we saw people say, I agree and I want to be part of this. Stella has always felt like a collective project and this was another way in which people could be part of it at whatever level fit them. And in terms of leading the campaign and running the campaign within this sort of group of individuals on on this conversation right now, it really was one of the most extraordinary high points of going through essentially that valley of death in early February where we had to be patient and wait, hoping and knowing confidently eventually the tide would turn. But when we saw this outpouring of support and this collective goodwill from those who are nearest and dearest to us and not only advocating but also contributing in each their own individual ways, it was very heartening. One part of that important thing was actually asking all the board to collectively give as appropriate to individual circumstance. But can I ask you, Karen, why was this important for all the board to give? I think it was something that was really critical to the campaign. The amount, as you say, each board member gave was really not the point. It was about giving to their capacity. And in doing so, it demonstrated our personal commitment. It also helped give board members the confidence to ask others to contribute. So as a board, we tapped into our own networks and reached out to potential supporters. And we're each responsible also for contacting donors personally to thank them. For many of the board members, I think this process was initially quite daunting. It wasn't something they'd done before, but the experience was also really motivating and built much stronger connections with our community. And that experience of of thanking someone for their gift is actually a really special one because that's when you find out why they've, they've given in the first place. So I think the board were quite inspired by that process. And Paula, having been on the board previously and previously trying to encourage 100% participation in board giving to Stella, but not quite getting there, From your perspective, why was this important for this campaign that the board gave as a donor from that perspective? Well, I think Karen has has certainly said said that very well, and and I agree with, with everything she said. As a donor and a former board member, I needed to know that every member of that board and executive were totally behind this, that they could stand up and say, I supported this as well. 
And, you know, we talk a great deal about how egalitarian Stella is. And to me, that was part of it, that everybody had to put their hand in their pocket and give a small amount, a large amount, whatever they could afford. And also, we needed to be able to say to our donors that every member of the board is supporting this financially and enthusiastically in all the work they're doing. And it was powerful. And it was powerful, just as Karen said, many of our board members making donor thank you calls, as did Jack and the team, of course. But here we were. We had four weeks to go to the announcement. And there was something very special that was essentially 70 years in the making. A female philanthropist paying it forward for women writers. We come to Helen McPherson Smith Trust Foundation. They were celebrating 70 years of the foundation. We were celebrating 10 years of the Stella Prize. We began discussions with the chair of Helen McPherson Smith Trust Board and the CEO in September 2022. And as Paula indicated previously, these conversations take time. It takes patience. It takes being responsive to and building a trust with individuals. But four weeks to go towards the end of the campaign, these discussions came into fruition. Jack, tell us what happened. It felt like that last puzzle piece was yet to land and the conversations with Helen McPherson-Smith Trust had been so energising. They had challenged us to think big. They had encouraged us to think about long-term impact through that real focus on their founder's vision, what it was for Helen as a female philanthropist at a time when that was so rare. So there was all of this strong connection between what we were trying to do, but there wasn't a commitment to a dollar figure on the table. And, you know, from a CEO's perspective, I found it hard to stay patient through this period. I was feeling extremely anxious about it. And so when their contribution came and it came at such an extraordinary level and right at the last minute, it really made very real the way that that a campaign like this comes down to the wire. And it really was down to the wire. You know, Jack, I remember you talking to me about conversations you had with Deborah Morgan, their wonderful CEO, and the meetings that Mm -hmm. their board was having and that an answer Mm -hmm. would be coming and an answer would be coming. And we were so excited, but also a little anxious because the days were ticking down. Before we finally landed on what that number was, we then launched our grassroots campaign. We had 10 days to go. We gave ourselves a target to raise $10,000 from our extraordinary community, very much the egalitarian, everybody can be a philanthropist and contribute to Stella should they wish to do so. Jack, tell us what this felt like at Stella headquarters, what it felt like going out to the grassroots campaign stage to this campaign with 10 days to go. The 10 days leading up to the announcement of the Stella prize winner every year is extraordinary. It is when we think of it in the office as Stella Christmas. It's the the countdown to the big moment. So to have the two things happening at once, to say to so many people, in 10 days, we will be announcing who has won the prize. And in 10 days, we're asking you to help us get this last $10,000. Stella is egalitarian. Stella is also an incredibly broad church. We have supporters who are major philanthropists. We have supporters who are aspiring and emerging writers. When we talk about people making a contribution at whatever level is suitable to them, this grassroots 
stage of the campaign really was saying, I've literally appreciated a $10 donation and it will get us closer to the target. And people did it. We saw donations come in. I think the, the smallest we received was a $5 donation right at the very end. And in this part of the campaign, we also received a couple of $1,000 donations. So it really came together at the very last minute and everyone owned it. We saw people sharing across their social medias that they had contributed and feeling like Stella was theirs and that's 100% how it should be. And it was buzzing, wasn't it? It was just so (laughs) exciting, so exciting. And then one week out, we get the call from Helen McPherson-Smith Trust. What did they have to say, Jack? The Helen McPherson Smith Trust made a contribution of $250,000 to the campaign at that very last moment. And I, I cried when that came in. It just, I, I felt like I had kept it together right up until then. And I was on the phone with Deborah and it, and it just, it came out my eyes. There was no way around it. So at that moment, we knew we had reached target one week out. Was that right? That's it. We were there. Now, Paula, you said I could call at any time to let you know that we'd reached target. And it was a very mild 7 p.m. phone call that I made on that very evening to tell you that it looked like we had made our target of $2 million, that we had indeed secured Stella forever. How did you feel getting that call? Oh, Melissa, it was very much um, an, oh my God, we did it moment. What I remember is that the two of us were interrupting each other. You were saying, thanks to you. And I was saying, no, no, Melissa, thanks to you and the Stella team. It was joyous. And I was very proud to be a Stella woman. It was so very exciting. Karen, what does this mean from the board's perspective at this very moment in time? Well, for me personally, it was just huge and there was still a level of disbelief even when I heard the news. I remember sitting in the back of the car (laughs) with my two teenage boys crammed in, looking out the window and just trying to convince myself that we'd really done it, which, you know, it's not something that you think you can do, raising $2 in in that short period of time. I think for the board generally, it was this coming together and and a belief in ourselves of what we'd achieved and what we could, could achieve when we work together in this way, because as as everyone has said today, there's no one person that was key to this. I think it was just that collective effort and the board has always acted as a collective of women who are just committed to this cause of Stella and part of this Stella community. So for the board and for me personally, it was just this huge thing that has has still actually taken a couple of months to really (laughs) get my head around that we did it. And yet the story continues a few days out. And there is still one final chapter. It's our operating budget gap. Now, you may recall, listeners, that what we asked collectively of the board, myself included, to sign off on in July the previous year was Stella Forever would be our fundraising priority for the year. We would go out, we would seek to raise $2 million in 10 months. And this may be at the expense of our operating because we can only do so much in a period of time with so few resources and that we may need to dip into reserves, which the board was comfortable to sign off on because of prudent financial management prior to this. So we went into this with a clear understanding of priorities of endowments, but if we could secure operating, this was important. Now, one of our very closest supporters from the very beginning of Stella had indicated at one of those very first conversations about the campaign that to come back to her as the campaign was in its concluding phases because she would like to help us perhaps close out that campaign. 
So we went back to that one individual and shared with her this extraordinary tale that indeed, in fact, we had actually reached the campaign target for the endowment, but we still had a gap in our operating. Jack, what happened? It was an extraordinary conversation. It's lovely to be able to share good news with donors and particularly donors who've been with Stella for such a long time. And so it was lovely to be able to say, we have reached our campaign target. And her immediate response was, I still want to be in it. I still want to be part of it. I'm going to make a contribution. Again, it's because it doesn't only come from our need. It comes from people wanting to be part of the community. As you say, Paula, she is also a stellar woman. And then the second part of the conversation, again, I feel like my contribution to this conversation is to say over and over again, the moments where I was speechless, but a donor saying, I recognize how much it has taken for you to deliver this campaign. I understand the complexities of your operating environment. Let me cover that as well. And she made a significant contribution to fill our operational fundraising target for the year with a single gift. It means we hit all the targets, even those we weren't anticipating. So just to put it in context, prior to this, Stella had done a really good job stewarding donors and raising approximately 400000 a year. However, because of the need and the compelling need of the Stella Forever campaign, because of the ambition to run a truly female-led philanthropy campaign that was wonderfully ambitious and impactful, we ended up raising over $2 million for Stella Forever And we ended up raising in total close to $2.5 million, which included our operating costs in 10 months because of the collective generosity of some extraordinary individuals. I want us to take us to that final night, the prize night, the date that we had been working towards for the past 10 months. That was going to be the 10th anniversary announcement of the prize and now we could confidently say the successful campaign announcement also. It was a beautiful, cool day in Melbourne in late April. Paula, I called to share with you this very latest development of that dear, dear donor who not only supported the campaign, but also our operating gap and to share with you that news so that you could then make a call to thank her. How did you feel that morning knowing that we would be making the announcement that night? Well, tremendously excited. I was just jittery all over. I couldn't wait for the evening to come. And I couldn't wait for Jacqueline and Karen and you, Melissa, to thank the women in the crowd who actually had supported us as well. I thought that was going to be pretty special. I think what was thrilling for me was that we did it in just 10 months. I remember calling my dear friend to thank her for supporting us in this way. And I I thought, this is such a brilliant strategy by a donor to wait until the end to come in with a true understanding of how important operational funding is. And of course, I I thanked her for that. But we also talked about our meeting back in 2016 when I asked her to join me in the first match to Spearhead Endowment. We left the cafe that day, six years before, saying to one another, we can do this. And by April 2022, Both of us sat in that audience and knew that women all over the country had helped us to do this. And that was that was really special. So come to that evening in the Ian Potter Queen's Hall of the State Library of Victoria to a room of 250 plus writers, publishers, philanthropists, supporters and readers 
Melissa Lukashenko, chair of the 2022 Stellar Prize Chair of Judges, announced that Evelyn Araluen was the 2022 Stellar Prize winner for her debut collection of poetry, Drop Bear. Evelyn is the second First Nations writer after Alexis Wright in 2018 and the youngest Stellar Prize winner to date. I then had an extraordinary moment to go up on stage and make that announcement that we had secured Stella Forever. We had raised over $2 million to achieve ultimately that $3 million endowment target, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. And as a result of an extraordinary grassroots response to the campaign and across the country of our donors, the board had decided to increase that prize that year from $50,000 to $60,000. Jack, prior to that evening, you had the honour of letting Evelyn Aralua know not only that she was the winner, but the prize that had increased by a further $10,000. What did winning that prize mean to Evelyn? At Stella HQ, we talk about being the good news fairy when you get to call a writer and give them good news. It's hands down the best part of the job. I spoke to Evelyn, she was in her car (laughs) and I said, could I ask you to pull over? I just want to share some news. And said, we have successfully achieved our goal. In light of that, we are increasing the prize money this year from 50000 to sixty. She swore a lot. <laughs> she said, thank you a lot. She said, oh, my God, oh, my God, you guys, oh, my God, over and over. Uh, look, I would encourage everyone who is listening to this to go to the Stella website and watch Evelyn's thank you speech from the night that she won the Stella Prize. She speaks so beautifully about the impact of the opportunities that she now has to dedicate time to her writing. She has gone from holding down four jobs to actually having time to write and dedicate to her next work. And over and over again, we say one of the things the prize does is recognise achievements to date. Drop Bear is an extraordinary book, but it, it buys a writer time to work on her next book. And Evelyn, she has a novel on the go. She has another poetry collection on the go. She has a number of things in the works. And it's just such an incredible honour to know that Stella has contributed to her capacity to deliver those. This has been such an extraordinary experience and a deeply humbling one to be a part of. It also shows the opportunity to be ambitious and bold and to collectively work with a group of extraordinary women of what can actually happen. This was a campaign that was bold in ambition, female-led with a tight timeframe to secure Stella forever. It was new to many involved in Stella. So I'm keen to hear the advice of what you would give to others at early stages of campaign planning or pondering on noble ambitions. Karen, from your perspective as chair, what advice would you give to others embarking upon something similar to this? Well, as you've said, Melissa, I think the key is to be bold and to really ask for what you do need. It will take a lot of effort and a very clear strategy and also a collective commitment from your board and your team. And at times you'll probably doubt yourself as as we all did, I think, but it's important to stay focused on why you were doing it and also to try and enjoy the ride along the way because it, it really was something special to be part of this. Thank you, Karen. Jack, you lived and breathed this campaign and, of course, everything else that Stella needs to do during this period of time. Looking back, <laughs> what advice would you give to mm-hmm. others through, through a weary lens, perhaps, but one that's incredibly excited about what we've been able to achieve? My advice is just to ignore any um, imposter syndrome or fear-based voice going on in the back of your head. 
when you work in the cultural industries and you are motivated to drive change, you have to assume that people want to come with you on that. And so for me, it was don't doubt yourself, go hard at the thing, trust that people will come with you. The additional thing I would say is ask a lot of questions. Every opportunity you get to ask a potential donor or an existing donor what they're interested in, why, what impact they'd like to see, where. Be endlessly curious about the people that you are doing this with because when it comes down to it, it is just people. It is people collectively coming together to do a thing and people love to tell you how they want to contribute and and what they want to achieve. So ask lots of questions. Thank you, Jack. Paula, what would be your advice? As a donor, if, if you're in a position to do so, fund for impact, fund to be a game changer, and also for the enjoyment of working with others to bring about a cultural change for good. Get involved with the organization you're supporting. I think philanthropy becomes a much richer experience when you do so. Setting up this match and being so involved with all of you in the campaign, watching it grow gave me such joy. Women around Australia understood the driving message that it was actually up to us to make this happen, the if not us, then who scenario. Donors of all levels participated, and that's so exciting. To me, Helping to endow the Stella Prize is one of the most uh, impactful donations I've ever made because it'll continue long into the future and help to support new generations of writers and the important stories they have to tell. And I think I'd add that these stories may be lost without donors standing behind them. Thank you, Paula. I have been involved in many fundraising campaigns and asked for many significant gifts, some of which I have been successful, some of which I haven't. But for me personally, this campaign has been one of the most deeply satisfying and personal and humbling things to be a part of. There have been many times throughout the past 10 months where there's need to draw on a lot of courage and bravery. You start something, you propel something, And you must continue to have that confidence to take people with you. And it can be daunting at times. And then you realize you're not by yourself with your women standing side by side, a group of the most extraordinary women, and you would collectively achieve something. I don't know if we all anticipated just what the impact would be and just how deeply satisfying seeing how many women were involved and how many women into the future will be impacted by the Stella Forever Fund. Some key learnings on reflection of this Stella Forever campaign is that number one, a clear and compelling case is absolutely fundamental. Our case was clear from the very beginning. We wanted to secure Stella Forever, and that is what we did. The time-bound urgency of the campaign is what really galvanized a level of momentum, caused deep levels of anxiety from time to time amongst all of us, no doubt, and required a lot of patience alongside that momentum. And that was challenging and a juggle at times, but a time-bound campaign is important to ensure that you can have focus and discipline to get that outcome. Thirdly, the female-led philanthropy campaign component so deeply resonated with the market and continues to do so in ways we have yet to fully anticipate. And that appetite and ambition that we tapped into is leading to significantly more ahead, I have no doubt. And then fourth, bringing people with you. Our board, 
our team, our donors, our writers, our readers, that building momentum was so important to the campaign, but it was so important personally to continue to draw upon the energy and the reserves to continue to persevere and being resilient. So creating a collective ambition and achievement is something that I want to thank Jacqueline Bilton, Karen Murray, Paula McLean for your extraordinary leadership, support, dedication and energy and just downright fun. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you for listening to Raising It. We hope this episode has demonstrated the power of philanthropy to create transformational social impact and will inspire you to realise your own noble ambitions. For more information, please go to nobleambition.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode.